Open your Bibles, would you? John chapter 4. John chapter 4. We're going to look at the first harvest crusade. How many of you know the name Greg Laurie? Greg Laurie. He pastors a very large church in Riverside. And every year, for, and this past weekend, was the 30th annual harvest crusade at Anaheim Stadium. Statistics tell me that there were over 100,000 people that came to the stadium over the three-night crusade. And eight. 1,670 people accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior last weekend. Now, that's a pretty awesome crusade, but you know the antecedents of the first Harvest Crusade, we're going to look at it right here in John chapter 4. Jesus was the original Greg Laurie doing his Harvest Crusade in Samaria, and we're going to have some fun as we look at this text together, but here's what's important. Missions starts at home. Missions starts with you sharing your faith as a way of life. And in this little context, you know it. It's this famous interaction between Jesus and the woman at the well. This is the section after that, and it's the what happened after that conversation experience. And so, so timely in light of our missions summer extravaganza that you've heard about today. And uh, we want to take just a moment to look at these five very practical ways of sharing your faith. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we ask that as we look at these little nuggets of truth, that they would be applicable to our lives as we share our faith in a natural uh, way with those that we come in contact with. In Jesus' name, amen. Here we go. Grab your notes here. Uh, First principle, Jesus' approach was unconventional. Verse 27, just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? You see, the disciples were kind of privately asking themselves, what's he doing talking to her? They're questioning his judgment. Uh, they didn't directly ask him what was up, but it's, they're coming on the tail end of this conversation. They don't know what's been going on. She even questions him, if you go back to verse 9 in chapter 4, about the propriety of him even asking her to go get him some water. She's uh, saying, like, uh, get a clue. You, you shouldn't have anything to do with me. And there are four reasons why. The obvious one from the text is she was a woman, he was a man. Okay. But the bigger issue was that she was a what kind of woman? A Samaritan woman, and the Jews and the Samaritans did not get along, and he was a Jew. She was a social outcast. He was a rabbi, uh, and quite frankly, if you looked at that conversation in depth, she didn't really like him, but he shows his love to her, and so he has to overcome all kinds of things in this conversation, fear, ignorance, prejudice, societal expectations. They were different sex, different race, different religious background, different moral character, but he still engaged her in the conversation, and that lays the foundation for this harvest crusade that you'll see at the end of the chapter here. Now, Jesus is God, and so you may be asking, well, it's our philosophy of how do we do relational evangelism? Does that mean that, oh, based on this example, that Scott and I should probably go evangelize the Rams cheerleaders? Yeah, men, uh, no, not, not so much. Uh, or maybe, ladies, you go reach out to the offensive line for the Rams. See, we generally believe that men should disciple men and women should disciple women or couples with couples. And so we're so grateful to the women on our staff and for my wife who oftentimes joins me uh, as we do these kinds of counseling situations in particular. All right, number two, 
His conversation challenged her thinking. Look at verses 28 and 29. So the woman left her water jug and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of town and they were coming to him. In other words, the townspeople were coming to Jesus. So let me give you some just real practical suggestions on how to challenge someone's thinking because oftentimes when you're engaging someone who's far from Jesus or maybe not yet a committed Christ follower or someone who's asking questions, uh, they have some preconceived ideas of what Christianity is all about, right? And so we should leave them asking questions rather than just reconfirming their already made assumptions uh, and objections to Christianity. And so one of the things you can do is pique their curiosity, ask questions, help them to, to think about how they've arrived at the conclusions they've come to. By the end of this conversation Jesus has with the woman at the well, she goes from doubting to asking, from sarcasm to sincerity, and ultimately from amazement to acknowledge him as Messiah. Now, one of the things that I love about do, being involved in this church is I actually do a ton of weddings. Did you know that? You go, well, who's getting married? Well, we have a, a, a woman in our church, Lindsay Aniojo, who has a wedding coordinator ministry business that she runs, and she does a number of weddings a year. And oftentimes, they don't have a pastor to do the wedding. And so she says, John, do you want to do another wedding? I'm saying, sure, but don't you want to keep the honorarium in the family? Let Josh do the wedding. He can be the officiant. She goes, Josh goes, no, no, I'm not so much. Uh, and so I get to do all these weddings. Well, nearly everybody that I do those weddings for uh, don't know Jesus. And so I get into some fabulous conversations. Recently, I did a wedding at Sherwood Country Club, the reception, the um, the groom's dinner was the, the day before over at this really nice restaurant in Westlake, and I sat almost the entire dinner talking to one groomsman who was a philosophy major from a very liberal school he graduated from, and he had all these ideas about his thoughts about Christianity, and I think he was rather astounded that a pastor wasn't completely clueless, which was an awesome feeling that maybe I could engage at, a, at an intelligent level in a way that didn't embarrass me or our church. And, you know, whether the, the, the conversation went from Dawkins uh, to Christopher Hitchens to all kinds of different things in that Newsweek article from a few years ago. And it was a blessing to be able to just maybe pique his curiosity about what Christianity really is all about. So what I did is start with his agenda, and I must have asked him at least 10 questions, and he never got one in for me, so I, it was a great conversation. He just kept answering questions, because by the way, everybody wants to talk about themselves and what they do and how they do it, and so it was a wonderful time that night. The other thing I noticed in this context with Jesus and the woman of the well, he did not see her as an adversary or a foe. He really saw her as a friend in the sense that, and write this down, he was more interested in winning the woman than winning the argument. Winning the woman, not winning the argument. And I've got to just tell you, man, in my younger days, I did not understand that principle. Maybe some of you are like me back in those days. It's like, okay, I'm going to convince them logically. I'm going to go through all these steps and proofs. And, you know, we'll give them every book, the case for faith, the case for Christ, the case for creation, the case for, you know, I wish I had all those back then. But the bottom line is, I don't think I quite understood that all those arguments, those discussions, those heated debates really didn't do a whole lot. And I'm guessing for some of you who are sitting in our church today, there's a lot of new faces out here over the last month. 
we got you, we got your back here. This is the safe place. We're not here to win an argument. What we want you to see is that Jesus loves you, period. And we want to share how that life-changing good news could make a difference in your life. Now, if you have questions, oh yeah, we'd love to answer those questions, but we're not here to win an argument. And so Abraham Lincoln said, if you want to convince a man, first show him that you are his true friend. Now, go back in the text of verse 20. It says, she left her water jug, all right? I think Jesus put that in there, and then she went and talked to the townspeople, and they all came back, and that's how the Harvest Crusade began. But what does that mean to us today? I think that's a physical illustration of a spiritual truth. Because when you come to faith in Christ, and some of you are on this journey, sitting in this room, even as we speak, you're trying to figure out where Jesus fits in this, this idea of Christianity. But oftentimes, when you are in that decision mode, you have to give up something. And I understand that for some of you, that means changing a whole set of friends. It may change your life. It may change your value system. I was talking to a couple who came to faith a while back, but because of their commitment to Christ, their family no longer welcomes them as part of the family. And so they actually lost their family in that decision. And so when we leave something behind, Jesus replaces that with this sense of family, purpose, peace, joy, etc. Principle number three. Don't let the ordinary distract you from the extraordinary. Look at verses 31 to 34. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples said, well, bring it out. Where is this food? Uh, so the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. What does that conversation remind you of? That reminds me of my conversation of grandma at Thanksgiving and saying, oh, you've got to eat more, and they keep putting And if you're from an Italian family, there's not too many meatballs that you can consume, right? And they keep giving you more. Anybody have that, grandma, in your family? You've got to eat more? Just me. Just two of us, three of us, some of us did, okay? But the bottom line is we can't let other people distract us from our kingdom purpose. The disciples were more concerned about eating than evangelism, more about food than the Father's will, and more about the mundane than the magnificent that was about to unfold. Now, the bottom line is all of us have things that get in the way uh, and distract us, right? Like this picture right now is going to distract you because you're thinking, how good would that be to eat freshly baked chocolate chip cookies with a glass of milk? That's only in my mind right now. I wish I could bring them out. But what is your cookie? What is that thing that often maybe distracts us from our kingdom purposes? Well, I don't have any real vices except for these three things. Dodger baseball, fantasy football, and Mexican food. All right? And so uh, what are your cookies? What are those things? Now, none of those things in on themselves are bad, right? I, we're having some fun here. But the bottom line is... Jesus didn't have this confrontation just here with food. Remember when he had it the very first time? Way back at the temptation, right? Turn these stones into bread when he's in his 40-day wilderness fast and the temptation of the evil one. And so sometimes well-intentioned friends can get us off track, right? 
there's plenty of good things that will help us to lose our focus, but Jesus was laser focused. And here's what I've seen in my life. Good things are often the enemy of the best things that God may have for you. So it's, it may not be a bad thing, but that good thing may kind of deter you from what God's calling you to and your priorities. And so one of the things we find out in doing missions trips, one of the objections, well, I can't do this until my kids get a little older. Well, we have living proof that you can bring a three-year-old and go to Mexico. I wish I had a picture of Lydia Lopez from a few years ago and how, what a tremendous ministry she had as a three-year-old going to Mexico. And apparently, when you're old or older, like Caleb and I, apparently there's still work for us as well. And so it doesn't matter. But don't you find that in life? When my kids get to, and first it is once they're out of diapers, then once they're into school, and then once they're out of high school, and then once I pay off college debt, or once I get into the next home or the next job, we're going to wake up one day and go, huh, my whole life passed me by waiting for the day that it would be the perfect time to do missions or to do this opportunity. I found that there's no perfect time but the present. And if God's calling you to do something for him, we'll help you figure it out. We'll figure out the finance. We'll help you figure out how it'll work. But just take that risk. Fourth, leave the timing to God. Verse 35 to 38, we won't read them all, but it says, there, aren't there four months and then the harvest? And there's a discussion about when is the harvest time? And the bottom line is the harvest is now. That's a spirit, physical analogy for this spiritual truth that there are people wanting to know more about Jesus. If we're just willing to open our mouth and say, this is the reason of the hope that we have in us. Now, we know from Matthew 9.35 and Luke 10.2 that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And so whether you're planting seeds or engaging in conversations or cultivating or reaping, the bottom line is someone may have prepared the way and all it needs is for you to have that conversation. Some of you know that my father-in-law is in hospice right now and likely only has a, a days to live. And my wife is making the most of that time with him. But she did something really sweet. She took Marilyn, who's been sitting with my dad, her dad for breakfast for the last two years. And she also has Parkinson's. And she took him into the room so they could have a conversation this week. And we don't know much about Marilyn, but I think she may have a Mormon background, which is a bit confusing for where, you know, for her to figure out what her eternal destiny is all about. But Cheryl took that opportunity and was just willing to be used. And by the way, she has such a great smiley face. I think they should hire her at Sunrise Assist Living because she knows everybody and knows all the families. And that's being the kind of salt in life. That's the kind of thing we're talking about. But some of us have said, yeah, but I've been praying for somebody. And you face this illustration that I call green apples versus red apples. And you've been talking and talking and talking and nobody has come to faith in Christ. And you've been praying specifically for your aunt so-and-so or your friend at work. Or maybe it's some of you parents praying for your kids. Or maybe it's a, a wayward kid. 
And so I've had that experience where I spent 10 years praying and sharing my faith with a couple of racquetball buddies over when I lived in Moore Park. And man, they just were resistant. I, they came to Easter services there. I brought them to Christmas Cafe. I brought them to my other church when I was a senior pastor in Moore Park. They just weren't ready. But I'll tell you, a few years ago, a guy named Rick Maddox came to church, and he was a red apple that was so juicy, it fell at my feet that first Sunday. And man, I got to tell you, if you've never met Rick and Simone, he is certifiable crazy, all right? (laughs) Crazy for Jesus Christ is what I'm talking about, because once he took a bite, man, he didn't ever turn back. And in fact... He now works with your junior hires. <laughs> uh, and it's awesome because he is so passionate about his faith. He was one of those red apples that we're talking about. So don't give up hope. You can still pay for the green apples, but don't forget there are red apples right in front of you that probably all you have to do is introduce the conversation and they're ready to go. Lastly, present him, not persuade them. Present him not persuade them. Verses 39 to 42, many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told them all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed two more days. That's how we get that three-day crusade. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. End of story. You see, ultimately, Jesus is the closer. We don't have to worry about us closing the deal. We present our faith, let Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, draw people to him. Now, the problem is we hear the word closer, and we think of this guy who, after you've negotiated for four and a half hours on the lot, then you have to find the sales manager who approves that $2,000 you know, credit, and then, then they throw in the Ginsu knives, and then you have your car. Or maybe you think of a closer as this term with Kenley Jansen, and then you're saying, well, he's not a very good closer right now. Um, (laughs) It pains me to say that. Um, But the bottom line is, Jesus is the one who saves the one. Jesus is the one who makes a difference. Jesus is the one who, through the power of the Holy Spirit, makes that difference in people's lives. And this frees you from feeling like, oh, it's all on my shoulders. I got to do this. There's no guilt trip here, friends. This is about us just taking opportunity to share as God gives us opportunity to share and letting Jesus close the deal. And so initially, these people in Samaria relied on the woman's testimony, but then they heard Jesus for themselves. And so ultimately, we just present Christ. And our band's going to come right now. And as I wrap up, I just want you to understand, in your bulletin is a list of 13 missionaries. See those? These are people who are presenting Christ all over the world. Some of them in restricted access countries. And so that's not even their real names, uh, not even their real places. And so you can talk to us if you want to connect with them. We'll get you connected with them. But they have learned the art of presenting him not persuading them. And as we think of that, that is because ultimately the best message in the world is that Jesus is the savior of the world and he cares about people. By the way, that idea of savior is only used here in 1 John 4, 14. And he loves people and he loves you. Psalm 139 says you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Genesis 3 says you're made in his image. And because of that, you are of inestimable worth. And I would be remiss today if you are sitting in this room at this moment and have never made Jesus 
the Savior and Lord of your life, we would love to introduce you to him today. Not just talk about missions, not just talk about evangelism, but making a difference that will last for eternity. Amen? Amen.